Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I, of course, am Stamford Chidge. And uh, in the blue corner, I have wearing his purple Superman T-shirt, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Up, up, up and away. Indeed, indeed. And in the other blue corner, an absolute wonderful, wonderful gentleman, Mr. Mark Meehan. Good evening, everybody. There you go. Uh, now, uh, I'm, I, as you know, and I mean, I'm genuinely mean this, a lot of people... Uh, you know, are showing a lot of love for the, uh, the the 50 years of Chelsea that we've been doing. I know we enjoy it, which is really what it's all about, and that's why we do it. But uh, in a perverse sort of way, Mark, I've been I've been looking forward to doing this season, um, largely because I was getting a bit older. I was kind of 13, 14. So whilst I wasn't going to Stamford Bridge, that was a bit of an alien concept to me at the time. Uh, I, I This is the season I remember watching on the big match, perhaps more than any other. And this was borne out by the uh, the amount of matches I managed to see uh, this afternoon for enough preparing for this. But uh, in a sense, the, the, I said all change, but in a way there wasn't any. But the thing that, 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 that kind of struck me about this was the number of new recruits that seemed to find their way into the team this season, um, such as Gary Chivers and Mick Fillery signed professional forms. Johnny B gets a few games. Mickey Nutton, John Sitton end up playing at the end of the season. David Stride, I think, makes a great impact. But uh, lo and behold, uh, we make our first signing uh, for four years, I think, when we get Duncan McKenzie from Everton for 165,000 quid in uh, early September. Um, now, I wasn't really around and going much at all. If Well, I wasn't going at all in those days. So this would have been, this would have kind of passed me by. I mean, I knew Duncan McKenzie from his time at Leeds more than anything. But... Um, you know, going into this season, Mark, I know it was a bit disappointing last season, but going into this season, what you know, were you excited? What were your hopes and expectations? And did you feel quite happy that Duncan McKenzie had arrived? Excited, yes. Uh, um, I'm an optimist by nature. So despite what happened the previous season, you know, we still managed to stay in the first division. Um, so looking forward to the next one. And the other thing that's really sort of was exciting for me, I had my first ever season ticket at Chelsea. So I got a £25 of terror season ticket that season for the first time. Um, so I'd already committed before the ball had even been kicked. I was going to every game that season. So really looking forward to it. Uh, high hopes for the season. Disappointment. Um, we talked about him in the last few weeks. We'd lost Jock Finiston. Uh, Ken Shellato decided to sell him to Sheffield United. Which I Why? Think Why did they do that? Terrible, terrible decision. And Jock never wanted to leave Chelsea, uh, but clearly... He had a choice of going to two clubs. One was Luton Town and one was Sheffield United. So he went north to Sheffield. Um, But we actually did bring in a player before Duncan um, McKenzie came in. We bought a new goalkeeper. We brought in Bob Isles during the the summer. From Weymouth. From Weymouth. And he makes (laughs) a debut during the course of the season. And he plays, which we will talk about, that infamous Bolton game. That was his home debut. But in terms of Duncan McKenzie... He had a good haircut, didn't he, Isles? I remember. Yeah, yeah. Really excited when Duncan McKenzie joined us. Um, me too, me too. Really, a really talented player. And in that short period of time he was with us, I think he only played 15 games. I think how I'd best describe Duncan, right player for Chelsea, wrong time. Yeah, you know, mm. Just came at the, the wrong time. Uh, he was doing flicks and tricks. And I think I think when you were talking the other week about Rude Hullet, um, some, no, I'm not saying that Duncan McKenzie's on the same level as Rude Hullet, but... There are times when he was doing things where he was on a different wavelength to some of his teammates. Um, so it was he was, a, he was a mercurial player, wasn't he, Duncan he, McKenzie? He was, he was a maverick. It was short-lived. 
Uh, also, you won't want him being a babysitter either, because when he was here, he was best friends with Kenny Swain. So one night, um, Kenny Swain and his wife Lillian went out and Duncan um, offered to babysit for them. And Duncan's idea of babysitting was, I think it must have been around November time, was let off a load of fireworks in Kenny Swain's flat. So the kids loved it, but I don't think Kenny Swain was best pleased with his, his, his teammates <laughs> or setting fireworks off in his flat. Um, the other thing about Duncan, um, I know we were watching the games. The other thing I found on YouTube, um, and from people remember the 1970s, will remember Superstars. Yes. So Duncan appeared that season in Superstars, and he was really unfortunate. I, I watched it over the weekend. He was really unfortunate. He appeared in the same episode, and um, older people will remember this, Brian Jacks. Yes. So Judo bloke. The gym test. And Duncan goes first, and they do the dips. You know, older people remember what the dips were. And Duncan does 17 dips in one minute. And then the next person that follows him was Brian Jacks, and he does 64 dips. <laughs> uh, and over the course of that episode, uh, Duncan finishes sort of second from bottom, which is probably a foretaste of what his football season was going to be like the I, remaining part of the season. I think in honour in honour of that, Mark, we have to do a rendition of the superb superstars theme music. Jonathan, remember it? Was it a bit like? Um... Why that never got translated to a cherished chant, I'll never know. Um, 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 didn't didn't Mackenzie uh, um, was able wasn't he able to vault over a mini from a standing star? Yes, that's probably why he got on superstars. Yeah, but it's true, isn't it, Mark? I mean, he could he could leap over a, a, a mini. He, he he never did it at Chelsea, but he did it at Leeds. Leeds United, and he also could throw a golf ball from one end of the pitch to the other. Um, but I think it was, um, I think one, it was a testimonial game at Leeds when he jumped over many. Like, I've got Duncan's book, so I was reading it, and it's on the. If I had the camera up, you could see it. There's a big photo of him on the back page of his book, jump, jumping over, over the mini. But he was, he was a talent. It was short lived. Um, he never actually scored a goal at Stamford Bridge in a league game, although no. he did score for us uh, in a. I think it was Charlie Cook's testimonials. All the goals he got uh, were away from home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he actually scored on his debut away to Coventry City. Yeah. Well, he, he played for Forest, didn't play. he, before that? He played for Forest because I remember seeing him playing um, uh, against Fulham, Fulham at Forest, and he was absolutely excellent. And that, I, that consequently, I was so excited with the prospect of him coming because I thought, well, all right, Finiston's gone out with... Finiston going was uh, what was going on in the boardroom what was going on how 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 did that work uh, one despairs I remember this emotion I'm feeling now was exactly what I felt then ah I just constantly going oh why have they done this and um but by Mackenzie I went okay I get it if you bought a player like that but as you say um uh a completely the, surrounded by journeymen in comparison, uh, yeah. a, a real, real talent, Mackenzie, and was wasn't given a chance to uh, to show how brilliant he could be. Well, but you know, sorry, go on, mate. No, no, no. I'm going to say. Well, but before before we before we get into to how the season uh, pans out, because a lot of games was to look over tonight. 
uh, and all sorts of other stuff. I mean, I mean, it might have been a really pants season, but there's so much to talk about. The first of which isn't even in the official, uh, obviously the official games that we played, but in September, on the 26th of September 1978, Chelsea played the New York Cosmos with a certain Johan Cruyff um, amongst them right now. I, I have to nail my colours to the mast here, but Johan Cruyff was one of the fundamental reasons why I love football. Uh, watching him play in the 74 uh, World Cup as a kind of an eight eight year old, I just fell in love with this guy and football and thought, my God, you know, one of my favourite players of all time. And of course, the New York Cosmos were huge. I mean, that's what, that's like the height of the, the National Soccer League then, or, you know, North American Soccer League, as we should call it. And and they come over to Chelsea. Now, I'm pretty sure you were there, JK, weren't you? I was. And I think Mark was probably there, weren't you, Mark? I was indeed, along with 39,659 people. But again, as we've said before in the fan cast, there was a lot more than 39,000 people well, in, that night. A bit like the Moscow <laughs> Dynamo game, kind of. So, Jonathan, tell me about this game. Because, I mean, you, there is footage of it, by the way, because I think Wilkins scored for us, didn't he? Tell me about that game. You know, how, what, what was it about? Why were we playing the New York Cosmos in September, in the, in the season, effectively? I think they'll have to ask Mark. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll talk to Mark, and then we'll get your, your reflections of it. Yeah. Would that be more but, sensible? Okay. The Cosmos Chidge were doing a European tour. Yeah. Right. So they, they, they was, there was, I think, half a dozen games um, on that tour, um, and we were the only side they played in the UK. Uh, they played Bayern Munich, they played Stuttgart, they played AC Milan, uh, they played Atletico Madrid, and they played Freiburger, which sounds like a beer in Germany. <laughs> so there were the five games, and they, they decided to come come to Stamford Bridge. And clearly, because they had, you know, not just Cruyff, they had in that side, um, they had Carlos Alberto was playing for them, they had Franz Beckenbauer, they had Giorgio, yeah, Italian people. Chinaglia. Chinaglia. Uh, and obviously, for Watford fans who might be listening, they had Terry Garber in the side. <laughs> and I think on the night, Dennis Stewart was up front for them. Dennis Stewart. That's scored. right. But it he really did, caught he? the imagination that you know, people just went there just to see Cruyff. And um, if you remember your big match, the following season, or the same season, the opening intro of the big match, during the game, Cruyff does the, his Cruyff turn and he sort of does that whole turn and beats Ray Lewington. And they show that in the big match, I think, for at least a season afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's bizarre how that came about. Why on earth were they playing Chelsea, Mark, without disparaging us too much? No, I, well, I, I don't know why they actually cho- chose us, but I said it, they, they were on tour. Uh, and whether or not we had some kind of connections with you know, the American Soccer League back then. But I, I, I thought that Weird. was, that was, that was Mears just being clever. That's what I heard. Good marketing. Yeah. I thought that, that, that Mears was just on the case in this instance, despite being so dreadful in so many other areas. What, what do you remember about the match, JK? Uh, nothing. Nothing? Seriously? Seriously, nothing. That's yeah. really sad, because that's but like I, I, huge. I told you this is my mind. This is what my brain... If Mark says something, I'll go, oh, yeah, of course that happened. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, if you think, you know. think about the context of this, because I know it's really odd, but Johan Cruyff uh, pretty much single-handedly dragged... Um, um, Holland to the World Cup final in 1974, where they should have beaten West Germany. Uh, he still, I mean, he 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 should have gone to the 78 World Cup, and this is going to feature in this this episode. I think we just had this amazing World Cup in Argentina in 78. Um, 
he should have gone to that. Holland gets to the final again, loses to Argentina, as we know. But he didn't go because there were, I think there were death threats against him. So he refused to go. So he's kind of, you know, it's it's not like he's kind of three or four years retired from decent football and just gone over to America to earn a decent cross. He's still a very, very, very good footballer. And he's playing at Stamford Bridge. I mean, you yeah, know, it's huge. I've been watching Beckenbauer, actually, I have to tell you. Was he playing as well? Yeah. yeah. Beckenbauer Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. De Kaiser. De Kaiser, indeed, indeed. But um, wow. he was very imperious. And also I was fascinated by the whole process of uh, of uh, um, uh, a sweeper because he, he, he was the original sweeper. And I just like the fact that he could, he just, he, he just tidied everything up all the time because he was still playing in that role because it was a role that wasn't played very often in, um, in English football. No, were there were there rumours that Chelsea were going to sign Cruyff, Mark, at there that was. time? Yeah, there were rumours, um, and that would have been an incredible signing. And on two occasions, shortly after that game, but then a couple of years later, I think when Jeff Hurst was manager, there was rumours again that we were looking to actually buy him. And I think in the end, um, I think he joined Levante in Spanish football, if I remember right. Um, and I think as part of his deal with Levante, um, he got half the gate money of every game. So that clearly was probably the deal he put a Brian Mears and Brian Mears probably said, no way, Jose. Yeah. Did, did he not go back to Feyenoord at the end of his career and, and do great things with them as well, I seem to remember? I, I think he may have been at Feyenoord. He certainly did yeah. play for Feyenoord at one point in his career, definitely. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Uh, we open the season uh, at home to Everton uh, and we lose 1-0. Um, I think the first thing that, that, that strikes me when I watched this back today uh, was not just that we were rather poor. It's the amount of players that had perms and tashes, JK. Well, Bob Latchford, he, he he had his hair permed especially for the start. He did, Motti Motti actually Motti. gave that a mention, didn't he? I, 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 what I what I Everton were really good. They Everton, weren't bad, were they? Everton had a really good team. There were some absolutely great, well, great, some really excellent players. They had Thomas, who played for Queens Park Rangers, who I thought was terrific. He'd been playing for England. They had Latchford. They had um, they bought this bloke Mickey Walsh from Blackpool, who had a really. Uh, a very good, made a very good impression. Lost they a tooth. Andy King, who was he had a perm as well, didn't he? Old um, Walsh. Um, yeah. Uh, Andy King, even I think Kenny Swain had a perm. Kenny um, Swain did. Went, yeah. Gary Stanley. Yeah, yeah. Ian Britton. Yeah. Yeah. They all. They, they all. They'd all. They'd all. They'd Clive all, Walker. What was left of his hair was perm. I had one as well. <laughs> you did not. You so did not. I did. Jesus wet me. <laughs> Do you know what I was? I was saying to Mark earlier, oh, e- even in the weird kind of backwater boondocks of the middle of Hampshire where I grew up, um, you know, basically, you know, we were getting into things like the Ruts and the Specials and 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 uh, bands like that. Although that's more seventy nine, so we we all became rude boys overnight. I had a little red Harrington, you know. So we we weren't into perms and tashes, mate. But then we were a bit younger. We couldn't have grown a tash then. Too yeah. young. I grew. I grew a tash at um, when I was in the National Youth Theatre. I grew a tash for a part. And you had a perm. It took me an eternity. No, not then. The perm was subsequent. I then subsequently had the perm. Um, there you go. But that was with um, um, those those rather large shirts that you had at the time as well, with the bits sticking out. You know. You, oh my god! And kickers. I bet you had kickers as well, didn't you? Red you, kickers. How did you know? Because I remember my fashion from those days. Now, now that I won't have anything red in the house, but then I don't know. Nor what will I. I. What matter with me? I don't know what what I 
I was mm. sort of less. I think it's because United weren't weren't the force that they, that they then became. It was more Liverpool at the time, but even they weren't. I, I'm trying to think who were the best sides. But anyway, the the Everton were a terrific side, and what I was terribly aware of in that very first game of the season is even though it was only one nil, was how completely outclassed we were, because. They could just, have been more than one. Oh, should have been. They just took us to the cleaners, and I, I'm. They were very impressive. Um, who else did they have? Um, uh, I've read, well, um, was it? No, that was um, Andy Pedic. 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 Who played for? Um, played for Stoke. Terrific. Terrific. Uh, buzzy player. It just made us. You thought. I remember th- going and thinking. Well, once again, as, as Mark's the same, we were saying we were we're optimistic. You know, you think, yeah, they're going to do. Uh, let's see what happens. It'll be much better than last season. And you think it's men against boys here. Well, what what were your hopes, Jonathan, for the season? I mean, I know you're always optimistic. Yeah, but, oh, you're always optimistic. You can't help it. You just think that somehow something might come together. They might discover something. But they just looked. They looked outclassed, and uh, they, they, it looked. Uh, um, it, it, it looked a division above for me from the very well, first game. You just thought, so well, well, were, your, were your hopes dented massively oh, after losing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What, what about you, Mark? I mean, I presume you were there. I, I was indeed. I remember a beautiful sunny day, um, over thirty thousand, um, and I think we only really began to play in about the last twenty minutes. Um, and I think Ian Britton came on his sub about twenty minutes ago, and that's what gave us a bit of a lift. Um, uh, it wasn't a great start, but we'd lost, I think, the previous season to Everton 1-0 at the bridge as well, 77-82. Um, it didn't dent my enthusiasm before, after. I think it was after the Everton game, I then went and bought my my train ticket and match ticket for Wolves on the forthcoming Tuesday evening. Uh, and we won up at Wolves. So, yeah, we may have lost at home, but I'd have probably taken sort of like a win from the first couple of games, maybe, and a draw. And we end up with a win and a draw from our first three games because we beat Wolves with a Tommy Langley goal and then we drew at Tottenham the following Saturday. But a couple of Swain goals. Kenny Swain, to me, was possibly the best player of, the, uh, of that season. And then, yeah. and they flog him. Well, we'll get to, get, get to get the, get the flogging that. later, but you're right. Two, he two was cracking goals. Act, a really class act, Kenny Swain. But this, this was really important, uh, you know, not, not least because it, it was... You know, probably the best run we had all season. Actually, no, we managed to win two games in a row towards the end of it or the middle of it. But um, as Mark will, I, I know, is gagging to tell us, uh, Tottenham had just come up from the second division because they'd been relegated. So this was supposed to be... I mean, we have this habit of ruining their, their parties and pissing on their parade. But the other thing, you know, I mentioned the 78 World Cup. Uh, they had uh, the much-vaunted uh, uh, Ozzy Ardiles and uh, Ricardo Villa playing for them. And I remember this at the time vividly. I mean, the whole, it was all Argentina crazy, wasn't it, Mark? And they had those two playing for them. Uh, they did. They they bought them sort of um, pre-season. They made their debut away at Nottingham Forest. And I think they played Aston Villa during the week. So this was their Saturday home debut because there was a bigger crowd than it was a London derby. And I was at White Hart Lane and that, that repeat of the 78 World Cup, all the ticker tape yeah. as they came out onto the pitch, just, it was a replica of Argentina in the World Cup. They start well, Tottenham, and they, they take the lead. But each time, you know, when they take the lead, within a minute, Kenny Swain has equalised. And I think on the day, yeah, we were unlucky not to win the game. You know, it wasn't just about our dealers. You know, in the press beforehand, it was Wilkins versus Hoddle. And I thought Wilkins had a fine game that day as well. And that probably, other than those two games, that's probably when we peaked that season. 
with a really tremendous um, point at White Hart Lane. And the other thing about that game, it was our first game back against Tottenham since they relegated us in wow. five. So yeah. there was a bit of a, not surprising, a bit of a grudge attached to it. And it was the first time I'd ever been to White Hart Lane, the Chelsea Tottenham game. So first time I'd ever been to Seven Sisters Station. And that long walk, experiencing that for the first time before and after the game, you know, Quite, quite intimidating. And like, scary. like Beirut, mate. It was like Beirut. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that um, they were great for the game, Ardiles and Villa, and uh, that that strange thing of that they insisted on calling Villa. They kept calling him Ricky, um, Ricky Villa, Ricky Villa, Villa rather than yeah. Villa, which of course was yeah. They, they were they were terrific. Ardiles is a terrific player. They're both terrific players, and I, I thought it enhanced the division actually as a consequence having them play. It was it was real. I mean, you know, as I said, I, I wasn't on the football radar half as much as you two at the time, um, but it, it did. It was it was resounding throughout the league. I mean, it was it was you know huge news. The other thing. That, that caught my eye watching this today was, uh, well, the Umbro kits, first of all, which are always my favourite Chelsea kit, that dark blue with the Umbro markings down the side. But, of course, this was... Uh, they, Chelsea were playing in, in, in what I like to call our Brazil uh, uh, kit, you know, the yellow shirt. I mean, actually, it's more like bloody Norwich. Mark, why on earth didn't the people at the club, you know, bearing in mind, they could, you know, the whole South American thing coming over, why didn't they play with the kind of the, the light blue shorts and flashings like Brazil did. I mean, at least we could have pretended that we were watching Brazil. <laughs> Brazil playing Argentina. Oh, oh, I think that's very picky, Chidge. I just love that kit. Uh, I love that kit. Love Don't it. get me wrong, man. I love it. An absolute genius. And while we're doing the show tonight, uh, simultaneously, if people are on Twitter, Kenny Rice is doing his oh. best ever away kits, his World Cup of away kits. And I cannot believe, because I voted for the yellow away kit, I did too. It got knocked out in the early rounds. No, no. That's criminal. And I don't, you know, I rarely buy. It's been years since I bought a shirt. Um, um, But, you know, I've had that shirt and that's one of my prized Chelsea possessions. You know, I've got that yellow and green shirt and I've got it signed by all the players from that era. I got it done while I was doing the Eddie Mack book. As a Dimitri player, I got each of them to sign that shirt till I ended up with the whole team. So that's got pride of place at home, that shirt. And and also, um, if you've seen the photo of Kenny Sway, there's a great photo. I think Hugh Hastings might take it with his arm aloft as he scores at Wild Lane. And I've got that picture frame of Kenny sign. Yeah, that was a Excellent. brilliant day at Wild Lane. We should have won the game. And it was, that was kind of pretty much the high point of the season. So we can all go home now. No, no, we, we, we can't really. Um, I know, no, don't worry. I know, don't, don't panic. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, Mark. Um, we then, we then lose at home three 0 to Leeds, which must have been terrible. Uh, we lose away to Coventry. Uh, I mean, this is basically the start of this awful, awful run that we go on. Um, just to kind of ruin it for everybody, basically, we don't win a match from having beaten Wolves or draw. Well, drawing against Spurs on the twenty sixth of August. We then lose one, two, three, four, five, six matches and draw one uh, before we play Bolton on the 14th. But before that, the, the, arguably the worst one is the Chelsea versus City match, Mark, where we got dubbed 4-1 with uh, Ron Futcher. Uh, who's he? I, I hear you all say, Late getting a hat-trick. I know. Well, he could have got five or six. I mean, we got really seriously dubbed. The only, the only thing that... Uh, in fact, actually, I think I can't. Be- I'm, I'm sure they might have done, but if I was writing the headlines, it would have been Futcher Butchers Chelsea, 
because that's pretty much what it was. But my favourite moment from that match is Mike Shannon, who, of course, a bit of a hero down where I come from, had, had transferred from Southampton. And uh, I could seriously hear the two fantastic chants, actually. Yeah, Shannon is a moron. Shannon is a moron. Do you remember that? I yeah. do. I do. And it, it just was perfect talent. And I do love that about football fans, sometimes spontaneity. Jill John was in the charts at that moment. And uh, that chant got... Re- we should bring it back. We should find, you know... Um, so Shannon got it throughout the game. But also when we played away later in the season, when McKenzie goes back to Everton and the Everton fans were so cross at selling Duncan McKenzie, when McKenzie scores early doors, the whole stadium gets up to cheer McKenzie, even the Everton fans. And they were singing Gordon is a moron about Gordon Lee. Wow. And then when we play Manchester United, by sheer luck, Man United had Gordon McQueen playing and Joe Jordan playing. <laughs> so we got both in the shed. We got Jordan is a moron and Gordon is perfect. So yeah, if a player called Gordon yeah, plays at Stamford Bridge next season, we have to bring that chant back. But that was the only memorable part about the game. Um, I think they described our goal when Gary Stanley scored late on as a modicum of respectability. That oh, I, I know. I remember Brian Moore saying that. I'm thinking, what, what have you been smoking, Brian? Yeah. The, the other thing that caught my ear, as opposed to my eye from this, is one of my favourite chants of all time. Uh, not that I don't think it was ever sung since I've been going, but mates of mine used to giggle about it. And I used to sing it on the fan cast, which was, um, it was just before our goal, I think. Um, whoever uh, fouled us, I don't know, I can't remember. But anyway, the crowd come out with, hit him on the head, hit him on the head, hit him on the head with a baseball bat. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, which is absolutely one of my favourite shots. I mean, all I have to say about that match and uh, and really, you know, that period up until the Bolton game is that, you know, uh, Langley couldn't finish his dinner and our defence was woeful. And the only other thing I noticed was that the porn ads had gone from Stamford Bridge. Uh, no more ads for dirty movies like Emmanuel. They're now Beans Means Heinz, which I thought was that that that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. No, I'm I'm joking. But I just thought it was an interesting observation. But I mean, and we we will Gola Chidge. A Gola, yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. had a pair of Gola boots. I think I may have been swayed by the advertising. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, I mean. It's funny watching these games back, and I and I wrote these little notes down, you know. And I was talking to Mark before we went on air, Jonathan, and and my, you know, if you watch all the matches that we we've been able to watch today, you would say, as I said, Langley couldn't finish his dinner. Langley um, was out he, of his depth all season. Just, but Mark Mark says he got the Player of the Year award. Well, yeah. and nonetheless, you despaired as to why they got rid of Finiston. I suppose they Shalito decided he he felt that. Langley would fit it fit with McKenzie, but I, I did. And then they got rid of Garner as well, who was always a a very decent uh, um, target. Yeah, man. he 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 went off um, in the, on the second of November to Cambridge United. Yeah, I mean the other thing is I would say is that the observation that I had was just how woeful the defence was. Oh. But I think there's some mitigation there because I mean Mark will remind me when, but Mickey Droy missed about four months because he had a he had an opera a kidney operation or something, didn't he? Which won't have helped. He, 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 you're absolutely right. But the other thing that probably won't have helped either during the course of that season, we had 13 different centre back partnerships, so there was no stability in our defence. You know, 
we cut chopping and changing, sometimes through injury, sometimes through suspension, sometimes through the manager, so many different pairings. And we had, I think, at least four goalkeepers during the course of the season as well. So there was a lot of chopping and changing you know, in our defence. So that didn't help either. The only Chaos. thing I to say about Tommy Langley is uh, I, I thought he had a good season. He got 16 goals. But I, I do agree he did sort of miss a lot of chances. He almost had to have three to get one. A bit like Batshuayi. A bit like Batshuayi, yeah. Don't tell Tommy we said that. He might be listening. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, Tommy, mm-hmm. I always loved you anyway. And I was never, I was not at QPR when the Chelsea fans sang, shoot Tommy Langley, we're going to shoot Tommy Langley. He said that Am I right, biggest, Mark? He said it was the biggest mistake of his life to yeah. QPR. He wished he'd never done it. He's a proper Chelsea boy, bless him. But yeah, he I, I, told a decent story about that, didn't he? About how he was just persuaded by being told you're getting a hundred pounds a week more, and he just found himself saying yes. What, what, wasn't it Jonathan? Who was the chairman of QPR at that time? Was it Jim Gregory? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, I, I think I think he said that. Yeah, he he. And then Tommy Dockett, he was manager, I think I remember. And I think he was locked in the room with Jim Gregory. I don't think they'd let him out until he agreed to sign. Yeah. Right, uh, we're going to spin forward to, um, I think, a game that most people remember most fondly in this season. I mean, we only won five matches all bloody season, so it wouldn't be hard. But just judging by what people were saying on Twitter this afternoon, Mark, uh, a lot of people remember this fondly. It's when we played uh, Bolton Wanderers on the 14th of October, only to find ourselves uh, 3-0 down Um if I can actually read, Gowling scores on 17 minutes. Frank Worthington, bless him, gets a penalty on 36 and then Gowling scores another on 40. So we're 3-0 down in the first half, playing like absolute shit. But it all changes, doesn't it, in the second half, Mark? In fact, actually, in the last 20 minutes. Uh, it it does. It does. All in the last 20 minutes. I, um, and it's great on Twitter today, just watching that and just people's comments in there and people's wonderful memories of that game. Uh, I've said many times, this is in my top 10, probably top five Chelsea games of all time. And I think it's one of those games you had to be there to experience it. You know, I think I've said, you know, when that fourth goal goes in, when Chelsea come back from there, there's not like steam rising from the shed end, you know, and you know, people invading the pitch. It was just euphoria. But you know, we went in at halftime, 3-0 down. And at that point, I had my season ticket. I used to stand in the right-hand side of the shed. Um, and yeah, you, know, you had the old moaners around you, you know. And this one guy said, "Oh, I did you, did you used to sit next to Jonathan?" Then <laughs> uh, had this, uh, you know, person who moaned every week, but clearly he had something to moan about that day. And he waves his season ticket in the air as he's exiting the ground and says, oh, "That's it, I've had enough." Does anybody want my season ticket? And <laughs> there was no takers because it's. A... <laughs> It was, it was dismal. That first it half was, was so completely dismal. I remember, um, and, and uh, you know, you come back wearily after you've attempted to get a have a wee in the East Stand, and uh, you've failed miserably because there are too many queues, and uh, you realise that if you don't return to your seat, you'll miss at least fifteen minutes of the second half. And then I was thinking, well, will it matter? They'll probably score another couple of goals, so I might as well carry on and uh, and have me wee. And uh, so I think I consequently, I can't remember the first goal where a Chelsea goal went in. I think I missed it because I was having a wee. Um, or, or I went off what, you know, what, you know, to work what out. Happened, the, yeah, tell me what yeah, happened. I can't remember the, that. Yeah. 
Clive Walker came on after sort of 71 minutes, but oh, after seventy booed. minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Booed because the player Shellato took off was Gary Stanley. And Gary Stanley was probably one of the few players that day that was playing well. And everyone's going, what are you taking him off for? You could take all the rest of it off. So Walker comes on to a crescendo of booze, but within one minute, you know, we've got a goal back through Tommy Langley. And then, you know, 12 minutes later, you know, we make it sort of three, two with Kenny Swain. Walker himself gets the third. And I can't remember, but it, it was like a two touch goal that it starts in the fence. It might've been Ron Harris, but I could be wrong. It could have been, you know, one of the defenders. You know, I think David Hay was playing that day. Um, and they do Last one, game for us, mate. Yeah, they do one pass to Wilkins in the centre of the park. He does one pass to Walker. And Walker just takes on the fullback, which was, I um, can't, can't remember who the fullback was for Bolton. And he makes it 3-3. And then there's just only one winner in this game. And there was a brilliant tweet put up by Martin Booth today, because I think Rick Glanville asked the question, has anyone ever asked... Sam Allardyce about that fourth goal for Chelsea, <laughs> and Martin Booth comes up and says he actually he won't name it. He knows someone that has, yeah. You know, and, and clearly, Big Sam was not impressed when he was asked about that because it's a glorious moment when Walker puts that ball in and Allardyce clumsily puts the ball into his his net, and from three nil down to four three in just twenty minutes, you know there was only you know, a nineteen thousand crowd that day, but I'd have to say there was a lot less than nineteen thousand there because a lot of people had left at half time but people just went mad at the end it's an incredible experience excellent stuff I saw and, the fourth goal through you know there was a gap at the edge of the stand um before the there was a little bit of greenery where the the the, the um uh the floodlight pylon was do you remember that just to, at the end of the east stand there was a yeah, yeah. It, it's a little gap and and i don't know why i'd left i'd left at three three with a minute to go i've no idea why um and uh, uh, and I saw the goal through the gap, and uh, was was sort of just bemused. I was uh, I was so disappointed in them as a side at the time that that I didn't it didn't give me any hope. I'm afraid that game that was the, well, that was the problem with it. I just remember thinking it's all right. They may have come back and Walker's played out of his skin because a lot of the time he doesn't. A lot of the time he kicks the ball too far ahead and runs after it and uh, and doesn't get to it or. But it kicks the ball aimlessly, and but he came on and was brilliant. And uh, but I, I was so because we'd had such a run of, of uselessness. I suppose you there's always a feeling that there's going to be you know it'll be there's there's hope, but it's a false dawn. So I'm the hope. It's the hope that kills you. It was mate. dashed. That's right. It was dashed. Uh, and it was a false dawn again because you know we. Uh, I mean, basically, I think after the Bournemouth game, we were in twenty first position, and we'd been in, we'd been in that position. Well, we'd been in the bottom three since we lost to City, which was back in September, I think. Um, yeah, so 16th of September. We were in the bottom three since then. Uh, we only won twice in the first three months. Um, and then we play uh, Man United at home on the 25th of, uh, of November. A, a strong, a very strong United side, it has to be said. This is, of course, under our old manager, Dave Sexton, but if you look at this United side, uh, Gary Bailey, Brian Greenoff, Stuart Houston, Sammy McElroy, Gordon McQueen, uh, also known as Gordon is a moron, uh, Martin Buchan, Steve Koppel, Jimmy Greenoff, Joe Jordan, uh, Lee McCurry, and uh, Mark, a certain Mickey Thomas making his debut. 
He did make his debut that day, and they went on to win the FA Cup, didn't they that year? No, they didn't. They lost. They lost they, to they Arsenal, lost, didn't they? Lost they? In the final to that last minute Southern yeah, goal. Yeah, the yeah, five minute he, final. I think they brought in that week because in the program, um, the number eleven was a guy called Tommy Sloan who was down to play. So I don't, I don't remember Tommy Sloan. So Mickey Thomas came in replace replace him, and I think he made the goal. I think Greenhouse scored it. Just a couple of things. Just going to mention, following on before, from that Bolton game and that you know sort of feeling afterwards. There was a feeling for Optimus as well, briefly, because Brian Mears had flown out um, to Yugoslavia to talk to Milan Milinic, who was the then um, Yugoslavian coach, but also managed Real Madrid. And there was a lot of talk. And if you watch, yes. you watch the video for that Bolton game, at the start of the video, he's sitting in the East Stand. And there was talk of him becoming sort of like a director of football, with Shalatou remaining coach. But well, remember, for some reason, great. I really remember that. That was very obvious that, that the, he yeah. was very much in the press at the time as a consequence. Yeah. And he actually said after the Bolton game, you know, he, he, he didn't need to join Chelsea because they didn't need him on the back of that one game. And we were going, no, we need him. We need him. Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, he kept Mears. And Mears talks about it in his book. Yeah. You know, he, he kept having that dialogue, but never pushed it over the line. And then Shellato gradually got nervous having originally agreed to the idea, and they, Mia suggested that Shellato had been put off by some of the other England managers. They said, this is a thin end of the wedge, you know, a foreign manager coming in to manage an English club where he looks sort of 40 years on where we are, where we are today. Oh, no. and, and then the other thing to flag, we played Norwich City, and it's, it's a Duncan McKenzie story, and Norwich were managed by John Bond. And, you know, McKenzie was doing all his flicks and tricks, you know, and I think he wound up John Bond over at the touchline. So John Bond's sort of, you know, his back heels and stuff like that, you know, accosts McKenzie when a throw comes in and says something. So why do you keep doing that? Are you, you know, and McKenzie goes, because I can. <laughs> Love it. Because like, I can. You know, good enough to do that jump. Yeah. But yeah, the Man United game, really, really disappointing. Uh, and I think that was when you really began to think, you know what, this isn't working. Um, in that game, I think if you listen to it, you can hear the crowd chanting for Eddie McCready yeah, on the video tape. And there was, you know, the signs from then on that, yeah, home games, people chanting for Eddie McCready. And there's a slight, uh, and people who haven't watched it, go onto YouTube and watch it. If you watch that video clip of that Man United game, just before the end of the game, and I think John Motson talks about Brian Mears leaving his seat before the end of the game, you look third on the row, and there's a gentleman there with white hair and a beard this is 1970 not father christmas and it's not father christmas or uh, or the smurfs either it's a kenneth william bates who was there <laughs> as brian Mears guest that day weird weird um i mean it was a nadir in a sense wasn't it i mean what i would say i mean i, I mean uh, brian moore mentions it on commentary that you know that we looked like a team completely lacking in confidence by then i have to say what what uh, tickled me watching the game was how brilliant the Chelsea support was, Jonathan. It was just really vociferous and behind the team. I mean, I, I get what Mark's saying about the Eddie McCready, but they, they it was a proper role and was really good, the atmosphere, Unless I thought. Unless they left at half-time, of course. But those that were... Well, no, I think, I think remained, it was... Those that remained were uh, were very keen to, uh, to show their support. I mean, that's a constant, Chidge. There's always a, there's always a core who are, uh, uh, I think lots of them were the same people who went away. I think nowadays there's much more of a difference. You get people who only go away. 
um, or you get stalwarts going away. But in this instance, uh, it was it was an adventure supporting the team. Um, but uh, uh, just to bring it back to this Milan, Milandovic, whatever his name was, I remember at the time being so hoping that they would get him because they so needed something else to happen to them as a team. I was just bemused by the 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 lack of quality players in comparison with some of these other teams who came down like man united as you said had some really top top players and and i i was also in despair at the fact we that they'd allowed it to go like this when um uh it, it just it, the, the 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 what's his face mckenzie signing seemed to sum it up which was they they'd bought a a talented um character which is the kind of person that they'd had before and made it work. And, but they'd around him, they just hadn't, they hadn't got the same kind of players. So it, it was, they were, they were always going into games, just looking outclassed. I keep going about it. You know, the, the Man City game that you mentioned where they were completely taken to the cleaners had, had Barnes, another terrific player. They had Hartford, another great player. As you said, had Channon. Um, they, they, every team had four or five really class players. And Chelsea didn't have any. They had Wilkins, who was hot and cold because he was having to to take the the brunt full brunt of it. Um, but other than that, there it, it just didn't stand out as a as a as a team, unfortunately. Well, we uh, we've still got about half of the season to go. We're going to oh, get into that uh, in the in the next part, part three. But before we do that, uh, a little gentle reminder that we do have what they call a Patreon uh, account, uh, which is a kind of a website where you can uh, support what we do on the Chelsea Fancast and help cover the costs of running all the shows that we do and hopefully uh, allow us to continue doing them. So if you want to donate, doesn't matter how much, as little or as much as you like, uh, but you pay like a monthly donation uh, via Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Chelsea Fancast. Uh, also, it's a good way to get, get in touch with us. Um, you know, I, I I have the app, so if you send a message on there, I see it and I try and respond as quickly as I can. So thank you to all of our wonderful Patreons. Uh, it really is very, very much appreciated that you do continue to uh, to donate a little bit every month, in spite of the fact that I don't do what all the other people who have Patreon accounts do and actually do something for it. I, I think we do the show. I think that's kind of what I'm saying, but there you go. Right, uh, part three coming up uh, with the second half of the 78-79 season. See you in a minute. Fans, real I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chels. Footballfancast.com. Welcome back. This is Jim for Chidge and the Chelsea Fancast with Mr. Jonathan Kidd. The right honourable Jonathan Kidd, in fact. Oh, Chujarama. And because uh, you are a member of my privy council, think about it. Is that in your loo? Well, you're always going to the loo at half time. Yeah, that's quite. Um, yeah, I have to tell you the truth. Occasionally I don't. Occasionally I get a cup of tea. You do. I know. I know. And uh, I've got the right honourable uh, Mark Meehan, who is a member of the Star Chamber, not the Star Chamber pot, I hasten to add, although he did go off for a wee. I did indeed, but I didn't have a cup of tea, so I won't need to go to a wee again for the rest of the show. Good man. All right, let's crack on because there's still so much to talk about. We kind of left you hanging in suspenders, really, with Chelsea losing at home to Man United 1-0. Uh, 
uh, on the 25th of November 1978. Chelsea then had another game at home against Aston Villa, uh, and they lost that 1-0 on the 9th of December. And then the shit hit the fan, because basically Ken Shalito gets the boot on the 13th of uh, uh, December. Uh, And then for about eight hours, Frank the Tank Upton is made manager. I've got a very funny story about this. And then Danny Blanchflower is made manager on the 14th of December. Now, when I did the Chelsea specials, and I I had a great interview with Gary Chivers, who is is hilarious, by the way. It's well worth listening to this. He told me the story about this, that they were all hanging, the players were hanging around. Ken had been fired. And then Frank uh, Frank turns up and says, I'm the new gaffer, call me gaffer. Uh, and they all knew that he hadn't been made manager. <laughs> and then lo and behold, six hours later, he was not manager and it was Danny Blanchflower. So poor old Frank had been sold a bit of a bit of a lemon there, I think. But, I mean, clearly the right decision, uh, Mark, yeah? Uh, yeah, clearly the right decision. Again, as I said, when we talk about Man United, the Villa game before... People, you know, were calling, you know, for Eddie McCready to come back. I think Shellato himself had actually tried to resign before that and Brian Mears, yeah, persuaded him to stay on. But I think they amicably came to the conclusion. Um, and on the Frank Upton thing, yeah, he was manager for less than a day. I've got a slight variation on that same story. It involves Peter Osgood, that when Frank Upton got the job and he came into the dressing room, he said to all the players, right now, lads, you know, you're going to have to call me boss. And Osgood joined yeah. that day. Yeah, Peter was going to just come back that day. Uh, and he sort of says, you know, cheekily, whatever you say, Frank. Yeah, we <laughs> Frank up, no end. And then soon after, within 24 hours, uh, Danny Blanchard has got the job. So Upton sticks his head around the door again. And he says, it's okay, lads. You can call me Frank again. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a good variance. It's much the same kind of story from Gary. Um before we get onto Aussie returning, which you teased beautifully there, Mark, Danny Blanchflower, I mean, rather than going with, with the hindsight of what we now know, but what did you both think of, of Danny Blanchflower being appointed? Jonathan? He'd be one of the great players in the 50s and 60s. He captain Spurs to the double, and they were the, the push-and-run side of the period. They 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 were a passing, passing team, and they were um, pretty innovative because of this way of playing, which didn't involve the long ball as much as most teams played and so um, there was the possibility that he might bring back that kind of football I think he even mentioned that in a speech which he gave which he was giving to the press but um, uh, personally I I, I don't understand what what was going on in the club at the time in that uh, they get rid of McCready they appoint somebody who can't do it who is clearly inept and they appoint somebody equally just not right for a first division club. Um, I suppose if they were bottom. Did you know that? Did you know that at the time? Though? I, uh, well, you you hoped that there would. You wondered why. You wondered why he. It was a bit of a weird appointment. It was a right? weird appointment, but at the same time, um, he was out of your folklore. He'd he'd uh, he'd, he'd, he'd captain Northern Ireland. He'd been. He was a. Um, uh, he was on match of the day as a pundit. He expressed himself very well he was charming um he was a gentleman and you thought how, how did he how did he speak jonathan a bit like that there was a kind of sort of you know it was a sort of slightly posh belfast voice he had 
Seriously, she did. It was sort of, you know, well, you know, I remember watching Match of the Day the other day. There was a Match of the Day that I think it was Chelsea, whatever it was. I came and they asked him, and he was a bit rubbish. Let's be frank, he was a bit on his on his toes. Well, that wasn't a very good game, was it? That was a bit um, un. Uh, how can I put it? A bit un. You could think, no, say something else, Danny. Say something in a bit. But at the same time, this was new. This was this was Wollstonehome. Um, handing over to him live at the get not live it was recorded after the game so it was all new so you forgave them everything and he was he was Danny Blanchard been a, a terrific player really terrific player um, uh, and he uh, he'd won the double as I said with Spurs um, so there was a hope yes what will you know as always what will this man bring to the club what are we going to get here but when you think about it with all these other thrusting managers it was clearly somebody who they were paying a tenner a week to and uh, the more you think about it, the more it was all, um, it was a fire sale. Let's get in somebody just to to get us through to the end of the season and then we'll go down. It was, you, you, yeah, that was the way it appeared to be to me. There was no hope. And the, well, meanwhile, the club the club are still plummeting towards bankruptcy, aren't they? Yeah, they're still skint. They're still skin. completely skint. So that's why they got him in. You think it was something altruistic and he was going to present his great philosophy of football and it would work, but no, he was... He was decent, a very decent journalist, a very decent man, but clearly, uh, clearly not up for the job. Mark, uh, would you agree with all of that? Have you got anything to add to that? It's a a strange appointment, and there wasn't even any time for any press speculation because, you know, Ken Ken Shellato, I think, went on the 13th, and then Danny Blanchard was there on the 14th. So there really wasn't any time to think about it. And it it was quite strange because the night before Shellato got the push or stood down, I was at Charlie Cook's testimonial and then, yeah, it was only about 6,000 and there was no real campaign to get rid of Shellato, even though I said they might chant for Eddie McCready. There was no Shellato out and there was no, no, there was no sense perhaps that this was coming. And even sort of Brian Mears in his book, you know, he even said himself, I never thought of Danny as a club manager, particularly for Chelsea. And then when he introduced to the other directors, they never thought he was a manager either. So why do they hire him? (laughs) Why did they hire him then? Why did they hire him? So was it we already resigned to relegation and he was available? You know, because Brian Mears in his book talks about John Bonds, Terry Venables. Venables was a young up-and-coming coach. I think he was at Crystal (sighs) Palace at that time. Ex-Chelsea, of course. Yeah, and ex-Chelsea. Um and you know, he even says about John Bond, who had a good track record at Norwich City. Yeah. You know, yeah, I first thought of John Bond, you know, who later went on to Manchester City, but somehow I could never see John Bond as a manager of Chelsea. So, yeah. yeah, very strange appointment. And you know, in hindsight, yeah, probably a bad appointment. Definitely a bad appointment. Indeed. Now, um, talking of bad appointments or strange ones, did any of you see this happening, which is actually the same day that Danny Banchfar has uh, appointed the Chelsea manager on the 14th of December. Uh, the return of the King. Peter Osgood uh, comes back from Philadelphia Fury for 25 grand, JK. Um, well, once again, our hopes were high, Chidge. You've been calling for him for the last four years. I wish, I know, I know. But by then, um, he was a shadow of the player he'd been, unfortunately. So, um, and it was pretty, pretty obvious after his first appearance when he didn't do much, didn't look very mobile and and fouled a lot of people. So um, it was a disappointment. But yeah, once again, we thought, well, you know, what's going to happen now? There's always this thing of, of you always, there's this hope. He's always thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen now. Perhaps he'll galvanise the side. Perhaps they'll make an effort. But 
they were out of their depth in that division with um, and they were headless and they weren't being given the right advice so did you welcome Aussie back with open arms mark i did um cuz i'd only seen him a few times um in the 70s as a player so and i think when we spoke in that even the first time i went to chelsea Aussie wasn't even playing um but there'd been a lot of press speculation prior to him joining us that he was coming back from america so his name was even being sung on the terrace before he came back. So there was that excitement that Peter Osgood came home, he was back, the king of Stamford Bridge. But other than a couple of, you know, you know, obviously the first game he plays in Middlesbrough when he scores that goal, a couple of fits and starts, you know, I don't think he was fully fit. And there was no, very never few fit. Never looked fit, Mark, ever. Yeah, didn't look fit at all. You know, he even played midfield at times. I think he played sweep on one occasion or two occasions. It just never happened. It was really, he played in central defence, didn't he? It, 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 yeah, it never happens. You know, just really, really sad. And you know, then he fell out with Jeff Hurst, and then he he left the following season. All very, very odd. Uh, also very odd, which I must must have been like a dagger to the heart for you, J.K. Was Kenny Swain being sold to Villa for a hundred grand the same day? Well, that was another. That was another sale to, to 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 appease the bank manager wasn't it clearly must have been because he went on to win the european he, cup with villa he, as a fullback he, he, two he years later the, he was one of the best players he was yeah i know he was a terrific terrific player and meanwhile butch is still hanging on that's the thing we'll get we'll get to butch later but uh indeed there are other there's a, the interesting thing is I'll, I'll tease it now and I'll, I'll try and do this chronologically but there are quite a lot of other comings and goings towards the end of the season that raise quite a few eyebrows, I think. But before we get to that, we should talk about the uh, the noteworthy uh, first game in charge for uh, said Danny Blanchflower when Chelsea go to uh, what was in those days Ayrson Park to play Middlesbrough. Uh, there can't be too many Chelsea managers, Mark, whose first game ends in a 7-2 Defeat. Uh, I don't recall any Chelsea managers who first game ends in a seven-two defeat, and, and especially after they take the lead as well. With Osgood scoring on his on his return back to the club. Yeah, Osgood had you know, awful result, and if you're going to and get beat seven-two, you know if we'd lost, say, to the Liverpool side of that season, you might have understood it because you know they were a very good side, you know, that season, or the Nottingham Forest side. But losing seven two to Middlesbrough, bloody hell! Quite, quite astonishing, isn't it? I mean, they were actually only five places above us at the time. Yeah. So as you say, it wasn't exact. It wasn't like we were playing Liverpool, was it? Um, we follow that up with uh, uh, a five one defeat away to Ipswich a few matches later. Now that's no shame actually, because Ipswich were were a pretty decent side at the time. Uh, I think they won the they'd won the FA Cup that year, hadn't they? Seventy eight. They seventy eight. Roger Osborne, yeah. Yeah, um, they were the cup holders. It was the penultimate day of the year. I, I actually wrote about this game in CFC UK this year, a few, a few issues back. You know, I, I went to this game. It was freezing up there. It was snowing, um, and we got a, an absolute tonking that day. Yeah, so so we lost five one, and it could easily be easily be more. I think we were four 0 down just after the second half had started. We really did not play well that day. Well, talking of snow, mate, um, you know, having watched these games back, probably the only other relative high point of the season. Well, there were there were, there were there's, there's this and there's another match which I, I will go into in a minute. But 
we go up to Man City on the 20th of January. Uh, we find ourselves uh, 1-0 down after eight minutes. Uh, remember they tonked us 4-1 earlier in the season. But the the thing that, that just I find remarkable about this was um, just the snow, actually. I mean, the, the, it was like it, the, the last time I've seen a match like that was when we played Tromso away. I mean, and of course, that funny orange ball they that they played with. They were to call games off in those days. They, they were, weren't they? They used to say, it's the same for both sides. Yeah, of course, the which reality, is true. Was it? Well, no, but it wasn't. It wasn't because one side frequently had ball players, expensive, skillful players who were rendered into, well, into slithering idiots. Can I just uh, take a uh, sec before we get on? Well, before, before you do, just yeah. to qualify that point, I agree with you, actually, because you can't say that. And then when you get a cup match where you have to go and play Hereford away in a cow field, right, and then say, oh, it's a great level of the pitch, yeah. which is what they always used to say, they wasn't it? They always used to say, yeah, yeah. Well, it used to be, but I mean, it's like Wolves when they beat Honved, who were supposed to be the, the world champions in the 50s. They watered the pitch because uh, uh, they knew that the, the, uh, the Hungarians had a slick passing game. And so all that Wolves did was boot the ball up the wings and centre it and then smash the ball into the net by barging the goalkeeper in. And yet, and they won that way. So they cheated Wolves uh, in order to, uh, to maintain the uh, superiority of the English game because that's what the English game was based on at the time. So it always, it, it's a leveller to the extent that it means that one side, the, the, the better footballing side can't play and is brought down by the elements. But just, just to digress, I was at the Man United Chelsea game at Old Trafford with Hugh Hastings, the photographer and the publisher and the, the editor of the of the programme. And I sat, I sat, that's the wrong expression, I lay with him behind the goal uh, as a, a photographer. I had a press pass. And um, uh, Johnson played for Chelsea and was, uh, and was um, consistently uh, um, bullied by Greenhoff, who was playing right back. But what was so remarkable was that Bailey, the Man United goalkeeper, was abused by Greenoff nonstop. About, uh, uh, this is Brian Greenoff, um, who was Jimmy Greenoff's brother, fullback, for being useless. And he kept saying, you're fucking useless, fucking useless, fucking kick it. And Bailey, of course, was a South African. And I had no idea that that, that kind of thing happened on your within your own team. And yet they won 3-0. He was just constantly at him. And as being a being lying with the photographers, you just heard this banter nonstop. But I remember being uh, uh, absolutely bemused by Osgood's performance, who was once again to go back to it, fat, out of condition, unfit, and just niggly. And I thought and, this is absolutely a waste of time. Here. And yet, and yet he scores. And no, yet no, no, he this scores. This is three nil. This is Man United Chelsea away. Oh, the uh, the cup match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, going back to the City match, he he scores. I mean, we win we win three yeah, two yeah. uh, with a with a breakaway Clive Walker goal uh, on seventy nine minutes. Uh, Aussie scores, yes. Uh, so does Duncan McKenzie scores with a free kick uh, to equalise, uh, which was in fact his last appearance. Mock. So why it was his last appearance? Because I mean, he he does get sold uh, about two months later. Uh, to Blackburn for 80 grand. But um, why was it his last appearance, Mark? Uh, out of favour of Blanchfeld. Blanchfeld didn't rate him. So if you look then, he he doesn't actually play him much after he become, becomes manager. Well, that is his final appearance. His final appearance. He, he doesn't, mm. doesn't figure at all. Uh, I think um, 
Duncan was also homesick, as I mentioned earlier, I've got his book. But there is tragedy, sadly, if people don't know this, um, that um, he'd just become a father and his son, Ross, around about that time, dies from a cop death. Oh, wow. Yeah, so another, you know, not, not many people sort of know that. And I was reading his book. And sort of really, and I knew that because Kenny Swain had told me that. But then when you read it and it really hits you, so he actually moved to Blackburn and I think he took a drop of a couple of divisions you know, and a drop in salary as well just to move back home because I think his wife was still up in the northwest of England from when he'd been at Everton. Um, and then it was 11 years before they had you know, another child and they got a, a, a daughter. So they had to wait that long. So very sad. I think that's part of the reason why he moved back as well. But also he wasn't being played by Blanchard, which, which was a shame. So... Yeah, the city was his swan song game. I think the other thing I'd add about that sort of weather, uh, it was a different kind of winter of discontent. Um, actually, there was a number of games, strange enough, we had postponed around then. Um, the only game we had up until the City game from Christmas was the Man United Cup game Jonathan was just talking about. Um, our, our games against sort of Arsenal, Coventry were all postponed. So we had a lean period of hardly playing any football. So that Manchester City game was all the more surprising as we hadn't had a league game for three weeks. You know. And then there's wow. another great clip um, talk about when games amazingly went on. As you find it, Arsenal played Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup when we played Man United. And Pat Jennings uh, up at Hillsborough gets absolutely pelted with snowballs. Well, the Sheffield Wednesday fan, it's absolutely brilliant, brilliant to watch. But yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, then we have our, our our run of two wins when we beat Birmingham the following week. Well, there we go. The high point of the season. I mean, this this is around the time just after this. It all gets a bit mental, and I, I need some explanation from you boys. On the one hand, we we sell Steve Wicks to Derby County for two hundred seventy five grand. Uh, we sell uh, Ray Lewington to Vancouver Whitecaps for forty grand. Oh. We uh, buy Eamon Bannon from Hearts for two hundred grand, um, and we buy Peter Barota uh, for for seventy grand from Partizan Belgrade. What's going on, Mark? It's crazy. Some very strange transfer dealings. Um, yeah, and that's what not, struck me. Whether or not the board was saying to Blanchard, if you want to bring any players in and sign any players, you had to sell players. But some of the players we sold, you know, were probably some of the strongest players in the side that season. Yeah, you know, Wicks in defence, really strange decision. And again, Steve, another player, didn't want to leave, but yet we sold him. Kenny Swain, another player, didn't want to leave. Ray Lewington, didn't want to leave. Um, so very strange. What a bizarre, to what a bizarre club to go to, Vancouver Whitecaps. You'd have thought, you know, obviously they just came in for him. I mean, yeah. uh, you'd have thought Lewington was a decent player and, yeah, and had yeah. really done well under McCready, of course, um, uh, who was playing him. He called him his tank, didn't he? So you, 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 what, what I find dreadful is the fact that this, the way they played under McCready, which was so obviously um, very novel and it was, it was a very radical way of playing, was just ignored by managers who were just incapable of, of, of understanding that they, before the team had played in a very specific way, that had made them into a really good force. And they just weren't playing that way anymore. Well, it, it kind of all gets a bit surreal for me, I think. And again, I, I, when we summarise and reflect on this, I, I, shall, I shall grill you both on this. But uh, the only... Uh, there's, I mean, in a sense, there's only one you know good 
positive match of note, I think, for the rest of the season. And it happens to be Petar Barota's debut. And I, I watched this, uh, I think it was the big, I think it was uh, match of the day they had it on. Chelsea against Liverpool on the 3rd of March, 79. It was the big match, Gidge. It was the big match. My apologies. It's it's funny, isn't it? They kind of, I only watched it about three hours ago. Anyway, whatever. Um, and I mean, bizarre, absolutely bizarre. We're we're bottom of the league, pretty much, or or twenty first. Liverpool are top, hunting down another title, uh, probably European champions as well, no doubt. And yet we seem to have an Indian sign on this side because we play out of our skins. I mean, frankly, you know, uh, we 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 hit the post. It's uh, twice. Uh, it's cleared off the line. We were so much the the better side, um, and uh, and and basically Liverpool were very lucky to get away with a nil nil win. And it just kind of belies the absolute shit that Chelsea managed to serve up for most of that season, Jonathan. Well, you just wonder whether they just get inspired by certain games, and they've got a good record against Liverpool, so. But it is it is very peculiar. You'd have thought they'd but to, take to put, the cleaners, don't you? Really? To put this into context, given the, who we've just sold, right? Oh. We've we've got we've got uh, John Sitton and Mickey Nutton playing, who who uh, <laughs> we're, we're never great players. I'm just I think Bannon was a decent signing because he was very industrious. And once again, you do that thing of thinking, oh, who's this who's this player? He must be good. They've paid two hundred thousand for him, and he had a very good press and. Uh, and he, he he got about all over the pitch, you know. So he was a he was a decent player, and uh, I, I I haven't got a great memory of the game, I'm afraid. Did, did, well, did, the, did, um, did Walker play? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Clive Walker play. I'll, I'll give you the team: Peter Barota, Graham Wilkins, David Stride, Eamon Bannon, John Sitton, Mickey Nutton, Gary Stanley, uh, Ray Wilkins, Ron Harris, Tommy Langley, and Clive Walker. Mark, one of the things that intrigued me about this is that Ron Harris is wearing the number nine shirt. What was all that about? Uh, this is the Ron Harris Irish coffee story. Uh, Ron, Ron, Ron wasn't down to play. Uh, Peter Osgood was down to play. Um, and Ron was in the restaurant in the East Stand before the game. He'd had a fine lunch. He had a few glasses of wine. And he'd had a large number of Irish coffees for dessert. So this is about half past one on the day of the game when the call comes through that Osgood has failed a fitness test and won't be playing. So Harris of deputised for Osgood, but he actually plays centre of midfield. And actually, you know, there's a couple of plays well in the game where he, he nearly scores a couple of blind goals. And the journalist Jeff Powell afterwards said it was Ron Harris's best game for Chelsea in 17 years. Yeah, and there's wow. a brilliant yellow card. I don't know if you remember when you're watching it, where he just literally just comes in behind David Johnson. And yeah. Puts his studs in the back of David Johnson's leg, right in front of the referee. That would get you a red card now. But, you know, just a typical Ron Harris challenge. He got there as soon as he could. Had to get that one in. Yeah, it was. he did play really, really well. I mean, the whole side did. I mean, the other the other interesting things that... that uh, uh, drew my attention earlier uh, earlier on today. Uh, Clements clattering into Emlyn Hughes and leaving him pilots on the ground. What a shame! Um, but of course, it's our it's our first sign of the Jekyll and the Hyde of Petter Barota, who who comes out at every available opportunity, almost like you, you could put the clown music, you know, and then there's there's a, there's another great. I mean, he 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 comes out almost to about eighteen twenty yards. And, and misses the ball. But on the other hand, he pulls off this unbelievable acrobatic save, which 
had Brian Moore purring uh, from Kenny Dalglish. So, uh, and he was, I mean, if you watched, I watched the highlights of it today and he was very much the feature of it. And of course he gets a little interview afterwards, but welcome to Chelsea, Petter Barotta. Mark. A very eccentric character. So you didn't know what would happen next. Some of the saves he would pull off would take your breath away, but then some, some of the goals, you know, would have you tearing your hair out and, I think there was a couple of occasions where he was up the other end of the pitch trying to score a goal to get it back. Uh, short period of time while he was there, you know, a real cult figure at Stamford Bridge. But that save he made from Dalglish, uh, absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant save. Indeed. Um, nevertheless, we didn't win. We still remain uh, very rooted to the bottom of the table. Um, and, and really, you know, that... That last kind of run of games. I mean, it was interesting actually because Ray Wilkins was interviewed after that game and was saying, um, you know, but Brian Moore was being realistic and saying, well, really, you've got to win every game to to stay up. And he said, well, why not? Uh, well, what happened, Ray, was we lost uh, every single one of them, apart from drawing one one with Derby County and winning two one against Middlesbrough. But in amongst all of that is a horrible three one loss to quick QPR at home, a six nil drubbing away at Forest. No shame there. They're a damn good side, obviously. Uh, and uh, and a 5-2 defeat away to Arsenal. Uh, do either of you two remember any of those horrors? I, I remember all three. I was at all three, Chidge. Um, the QPR game was probably... I think there was probably about a dozen games to go at that time. That's probably the time where mm. I think I'd resign myself you know, to, to relegation. You know, because I think we had a game in hands over QPR... Um, Coming up, I think it might be the Derby game. But so we lost to QPR, so that was a four pointer. And then we played Derby, and we were one nil up Derby. Um, it might have been before, and I think Roy McFarlane scored in the 89 minutes. And I just thought, Do you know what, we're going down. And then we went to Forest, and obviously, Forest were a really good side then. And another night where it was windy, it rained, it snowed, and the Chelsea support that night at the city ground was tremendous. About 3,000 Chelsea fans doing that Chelsea, Chelsea chant for about the last half hour of the game. And that was quite important because we were already 6-0 down. We were down to 10 men. Uh, actually, about 20 minutes ago, because John Sitton went off uh, injured. Uh, so we played the last 20 minutes, 6-0 down to Nottingham Forest with 10 men. And for that last 20 minutes, Chelsea fans sang constantly. At the end of the game, the Forest fans you know, gave the Chelsea fans a round of applause. And then in the next match programme, Brian Mears you know, wrote a special piece about the travelling fans. And I just tremendous Chelsea support. But then the Arsenal game, you know, what, what I've said about that Arsenal game, I, I wrote about it in Chelsea here, Chelsea there. I think I said relegation didn't happen at Arsenal. It happened over the course of that whole previous nine months. You know? But being at Highbury that day, oh, grim. We were 3-0 down. Clive Walker made it 3-1. No, 2-1 down. Um, yeah, 2-0 down. Clive Walker made it 2-1. And then Arsenal get three goals, I think, in about the last 10, 10 minutes. Well, 80 minutes, 82 minutes, 85 minutes. And then Tommy Langley gets his cracking goal from about 20 yards out, but too little, too late. And just got this memory. You know, I was actually in the North Bank that day, um, rather than the clock end, but there weren't many Chelsea fans in the North Bank there. There's about 200. Uh, and we're all in one section of the North Bank. And then just walking up, head to the exit, and all you can hear is Arsenal fans, you know, singing, going down, going down, going down. Just, you know, really awful feeling be, being relegated. You know. So, uh, would not wish that on any Chelsea fan in the modern-day Chelsea, you know, Chelsea era. Relegation is awful. 
Yeah, and I mean, to, to put a lid on it, um, two wins from our first 22 league games, worst ever Division 1 performance, relegated bottom on 20 points from 42 games, won five, drew 10, lost 27. I mean, I mean, we know, obviously, because we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this, you know, four years down the line or whatever, that arguably there were worst seasons to come. But I, I, you know, it's a good question to ask. I mean, how bad does this rank uh, in Chelsea's seasons? Worst ever. JK, you worst ever for you, Mark. Worst ever season in Chelsea's history. Why, why so? Yeah. Why so? Uh, well, the relegations were started, but just how badly we played that season. Some of the defeats we had. Yeah, you know, yeah. I. I and all my years supporting Chelsea, I don't remember a season as as bad as as bad as that one. And even the sides were there, you know, even at the halfway point of the season and the whole of nineteen seventy eight. You, you gave the stats about two wins and twenty two league games. We should have seen it there in seventy eight because we didn't play well in the second half of Shellotto's first season. If you look at the forty two games played in nineteen seventy eight, we only got twenty six points. So so the relegations were signed were already there long before relegation happens. Yeah. Mm. Jonathan, for you? Um, I found the whole of this period difficult, the whole of the 70s, um, the yo-yo aspect of it. The uh, the disappointment was, I mean, I'd written them off here um, before the last, you know, when they just had the run of games. I, I'd written them off about April, really. I just thought they were, it was a dreadful team and their heads went down too soon. Um, but, you know, I, I, once again, I'm remembering from, I suppose, with the knowledge of how good we've become, uh, you, you sort of just, you, you grinned and bore it. You know, you went, you didn't stop you from supporting your team. Um, but it was horrendously disappointing. And uh, it, uh, for me, it was, relegation was inevitable. So it wasn't, it round about Bristol City, I think. So possibly earlier. So I was kind of, I was resigned to it. So it wasn't as hard a blow. I think if they'd been battling to stay up and then lost it on the last last game of the season or something, last two games, I'd have been bitterly disappointed. But there was a kind of, of resignation that this was a poor team. Um, and so you just you accepted it. But yeah, I, I agree completely with Mark. It was, uh, it was uh, uh, possibly the worst. But, uh, but you know, I, I found all the decisions made subsequently. You look back in just disbelief. And, and the board weren't given enough um, grief by uh, the fans there was a kind of just acceptance I don't understand why were we all ignorant did we not know the way football clubs worked I think that was an element of it we just thought oh well they can't afford it or whatever they've made some bad decisions I mean I, I, I you can't quite understand why they just sold four or five of the better players and kept Ray Wilkins they possibly could have then sold Ray then got 500,000 uh, for him and then bought about four better players to shore the team up. I know it would have been premature and he was the best player, but he didn't he didn't have a great season himself. Well, you know. uh, that's a good point, JK, and you, you you don't know this, so your your powers of segueness are masterful. But of course obviously we do end up selling Ray Wilkins to Man United that summer. But after the Man United game, which in many respects I suspect really was the I think the key match really in the season, it's the one that really led to Shellato going. But this is what Mike Langley, I don't know the paper, 
one of one of the Sundays, no doubt. Headlines Exit Ray. Now this is on the twenty fifth of November, remember? And this is what he writes Flop Wilkins needs a rest. Ray Wilkins of England ought to spend Wednesday night resting on the bench when the Czechs visit Wembley. He's a talented lad whose form and confidence have gone in trying to carry a side that would be lucky to avoid the bird at Rochdale. Who wants to hear 95,000 England supporters laughing if Wilkins falls head over heels and trying to control a square pass with no challenger within miles? That happened here. Chelsea have 2 million in debts, United have 2 million in players, but their superiority was confirmed into effort to belief and to liberal applications of Jordan's elbows. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, I hope someone pulls... Here we go. Uh, I hope someone pulls uh, someone pulls him aside and convinces him that no other First Division team is quite as hopeless as Chelsea. A wall of silence, manager Ken Shellato's phrase, has now been erected around Stamford Bridge. Everyone from the chairman downwards is supposed to be gagged. Chelsea proclaim, we'll let our football do our talking for us. Well, what their football said in this fourth consecutive defeat is rubbish. I just thought, I, I just happened to catch that earlier on today, really just by mistake, you know, as one does. And I, I just thought, wow, that kind of encapsulates this season so beautifully. And I think also brings us on um, very pertinently and poignantly about Ray Wilkins. Um, because we now know, with hindsight, that he struggled terribly uh, with the pressure that was wrought upon him of being Chelsea's only player, the captain and everything else. Uh, it affected his mental state. I think he got depression, all sorts of things. I saw that interview um, that the big match did after the Liverpool game today. And and I remember, I know Ray. You know, I got to know him pretty well, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago or so. And okay, I know he was a lot younger, but that that I I watched it was it was heartbreaking watching that interview because this was not the Ray Wilkins that we know. He he looked absolutely skittish, nervous, very ill at ease, and I think it kind of, now knowing what we now know, it, you can just tell that this was a a young man, no pun intended with Ray, but un, under huge pressure and really really struggling with his game, uh, with himself with the the huge weight that he carried on his shoulders um and it was it was really sad to watch actually and i kind of look look upon it now in, in a very different light than i than i would have done at the time i think jk well um i, I think he as i said he 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 was he clearly wasn't the same player he'd been the season before um and the season before that and uh, uh the, the mediocrity around him, I think, are the same with Mackenzie. He couldn't, he couldn't come up to it. He couldn't. Um, he, he, it, it, it was too much for him. The whole pressure, as you say, of, uh, of being, supposedly the fulcrum of the side, and uh, the fact that he wasn't influencing games and he was being caught in possession, uh, and he wasn't being protected because I think under under Eddie McCready he was playing much further forward, and uh, and had Lewington behind him. Um, and it was a, just a much better setup, whereas in this instance, I think he was just playing midfield. He wasn't he wasn't given, being given the ability to roam, and uh, and as you say, yes, of course, he was in the summer. He was sold, wasn't he? But it was it, I I I'm I'm you, with hindsight, you look back and are bemused at the way that the club was being run at the time. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I, but it was it was once again the the. Um, the albatross of the stand, which uh, they took a long time to shrug off. 
Mm. Mark, what are your thoughts on what I was saying? Yeah, I can I can see it. Chid. He carried that team for so long, uh, and while you're doing that, I, I dug out the yearbook for the start of that season. And like Ken Shellato talks about the season that just ended, the seventy-seven eight one, and how Ray Wilkins had come back early from injury. You know, he'd played under the handicap with a groin injury, but he was concerned that Chelsea were going to go down. So he came back early and rushed himself back. He knew the risk he was taking, but he was putting Chelsea first. And Ray Wilkins got injured again the season we're talking about. He got injured in the Charlie Cook testimonial. And he came back for that Birmingham game, which was the last game that we won before before relegation. And time and time again, he put the club first before himself, his health, his well-being. Um, and I think the pressure as well, I think he was telling in the last home penultimate home game, when we lost to Ipswich at home, but everyone was just singing about don't go, Wilkins, don't go. And it's almost like a gesture. He makes to the crowd saying, like, you know, I don't want it, but I have to. Because is that I think that pressure on Chelsea had to sell him, you know, you know, to get some money in. Because even Blanche Flower, who was quite astute at managing the press, in the Arsenal game, when we get relegated, you know, what crops up again? Ray Wilkins is the story. And Harry Miller, Mirror, Harry Miller, who wrote for the Mirror, Asked Danny Danny Blanchflower, yeah, and he says I've got a good club but a bad team. If I could get a million pounds for two defenders, I wouldn't need to say sell Ray Wilkins. I've brought in Peter Brutter and Amy Brandon, but that is not enough. So Blanche was there saying once we got relegated, you know, if I'm going to build a team, I'm going to have to say Ray, Ray Wilkins. So the pressure was coming at Wilkins from all angles that he had to leave, you know. And the lovely part about that man, as I said it when I was on the show the other week, having spent time in his company. And when he came back for the first time and someone said to him, what are you doing here? You're a red. And he goes, I've never been a red. I've always been a blue. Yeah, yeah that's a lovely way to to finish it, I think, because um, it was a pretty depressing season and it, and it only really got worse in the summer when, when Ray went. A lot of, uh, I mean, you know, I was too young to really remember it, to be honest, but I know a lot of people... Uh, wept a lot when Ray went. It was like the soul being ripped out of the club. Uh, right, uh, that's it for uh, this week and our 50 years of Chelsea. Uh, we will be back, of course, next week to do 1979-80, uh, uh, which will be fun, I promise. Uh, now, I mentioned it earlier on, but the Chelsea special, of course, is uh, a whole series of interviews I've done with players from this uh, kind of era, uh, with the wonderful Martin King. We've done Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tabling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumpstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Canners, and also Danny Harkins. And, and, and Chivers, Gary Chivers and Johnny B talk about this era coming up beautifully, as you can imagine. Um, they're so, so, so well worth a listen. And you can download them uh, at chelseaspecial.podbean.com for a small charge of each podcast, uh, £2.99, uh, which is cheaper than a pint of Guinness. Uh, and we've paid the players, so we need to kind of recoup the costs, really. And you can subscribe to Podbean. Go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com, and then you see all of the episodes on the homepage, and just scroll down, have them all, or just pick out one. And when you do, you go buy single episode now. It takes you straight through to the payment window and pay your money, and then you can download it and listen to it as many times as you like. Uh, follow uh, us on Twitter, at Chelsea underscore special. The website's chelseaspecial.com, and it's Chelsea Special on Facebook.
Acast empfiehlt. Podcasts, die wir lieben. Es ist nicht alles gay, was glänzt. Oder doch? Das klären wir jetzt in Busenfreundin, der Podcast. Hey Leute, mein Name ist Ricarda. Ich bin Comedy-Autorin und die Stimme des LGBTIQ-Podcasts Busenfreundin. Und ich treffe jede Woche spannende Menschen und spreche mit ihnen über alles, was die queere Szene bewegt. Bei Busenfreundin gibt es Unterhaltung gepaart mit Haltung. Oft. Also nicht immer, denn manchmal schweife ich auch ab. Zum Beispiel mit Leuten wie Ricardo Simonetti, Sarah Kuttner und vielen, vielen mehr. Also schaltet jetzt ein zu Busenfreundin, eurem Lieblings-LGBTIQ-Infotainment-Podcast. Bei Acast finden die besten Podcasts aus aller Welt ein Zuhause. Abonniere diese Show oder finde weitere spannende Podcasts bei Acast oder wo immer du Podcasts hörst.